0: is Generation Justice, a multimedia project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Isabel Becerra.
1: And I'm Zen Dixon. Tonight we look at ways New Mexicans are working to secure immigrant rights and improve our democracy.
0: That's right. We will learn about New Mexico Dream Team's campaign, education, not deportation, and the legislation to look out with Luis Leva and Fernanda Banda,
1: And Maria Perez from Common Cause New Mexico tells us about ranked choice voting and how Albuquerque can get on board.
0: And don't forget about our very informative community calendar where we will be sharing upcoming community and legislative events.
1: But first up, we share an oldie but goodie. Here's Earth Angel by the Penguins. Last week, Generation Justice had the opportunity to interview New Mexico Dream Team members Fernanda Banda and Luis Leva at the Roundhouse in Santa Fe. They shared about the legislation they're supporting as part of the hashtag education not deportation campaign.
0: Here is youth producer Bianca Mitchell speaking with Fernanda Banda and Luis Leva.
2: This is Bianca Mitchell with Generation Justice and I'm speaking with Fernanda and Luis. Welcome to Generation Justice. Uh, will you tell us a little bit more about yourself?
3: Well, my name is Fernanda Banda, and it rhymes. I think uh, people like to point that out, It's just kind of silly, but I like it. Um, I am, well, I used to be a junior at UNM, this, sadly this uh, semester I had to get out due to certain financial incapabilities, but it's one of the reasons why I'm advocating a lot for this this uh, efforts. and. Um, Let's see. I like the color purple, and I'm really excited to be here with Generation Justice and the New Mexico Dream Team.
4: My name is Luis Leva. I'm a fourth-year marketing and psychology student at the University of New Mexico. I'm also an advocacy fellow for the New Mexico Dream Team, as well as uh, Fernanda is too. Uh, so pretty much, our job is to be up here and, and make connections with the with the lawmakers and really strategize about how to move forward the New Mexico Dream Team's agenda. So we. We are the largest immigrant youth-led organization in the state, and we're trying to have a really strong impact in the laws that are being passed, not only for our immigrant community, but everyone else that's being directly affected by the changes that, uh, that were implemented during the last eight years up here in, in Santa Fe. So we ha- we're trying to have that direct impact and have our voices heard.
2: Uh, what are some pieces of legislation that you are working on this session?
3: So we have a couple of bills the New Mexico Dream Team is directly like focused on, and one of them would be the SB 196. SB 196 is trying to focus on making New Mexico a Sanctuary state, meaning no federal investment into immigration law. We taxpayer money shouldn't be going into, say, like ICE or CBP. We're trying to make New Mexico a safe space for immigrants, undocumented, low income families, multi generational, like status, multicultural. So another one we're trying to do is HB 127, which is the College Affordability Act. One of the big uh, things with college is that it's really expensive, right? It's not centered on undocumented uh, students coming from immigrant families, uh, low-income students. I am myself directly affected. I, like I said, I didn't continue to school with the semester, because of that, I couldn't just I couldn't afford it. And College Affordability Act is trying to find the means necessary to make school more realistic to reform financial aid, reform lottery scholarship. I don't know if you guys know, but FAFSA and lottery are not centered in those uh, students who needed the most. Therefore, we're trying to make that change.
4: So last year during the election campaign, we were able to mobilize over 12,000 people all throughout the state where they supported the education, not deportation campaign. So pretty much what that campaign centered around is that we need to use our our state funds to really support our youth and invest in their future rather than uh, just sending that money to the for-profit human detention centers that are here in New Mexico. These are the These are the corporations that are terrorizing our communities and splitting up families, which is not, it should not be one of the priorities for our state. We're trying to create those tangible changes. During this legislature campaign, where we can actually um, bring into into action what we promise for our community, right? Our education, not deportation, campaign focuses on bringing those those bills into the House and implementing them into law. Like Fernanda said, we are working on cutting those state funds from federal immigration law, as well as creating a more affordable college experience for all students. But that's not; that, those are not the only bills that we're working on. We're working on HB 416, uh, HB 416 would give New Mexicans the opportunity to access a low cost coverage option in healthcare. So one of the biggest issues that affects the immigrant community as well as low income and, and communities of people of color is that they don't have the funds to pay for the increasing cost of health care. So this buy-in will allow the 180,000 New Mexicans that can't afford health care to to have that option and learn how to navigate the healthcare system. We're also working on HB 159, which is the Multicultural Education Framework. So a very popular topic in the legislation this, this term is the Yassi-Martinez lawsuit. So, so this lawsuit ruled that at-risk students, so bilingual students, a low-income students, disabled students, students that come from low-income families, we're not being properly taken care of by, by our state, by our education system. They were lacking the funds to really be able to thrive in their education. There are several bills that are being pushed through the legislation that will, will help solve the, this issue. And the multicultural education framework would create a multicultural and multi-bilingual framework for public schools to really be able to allocate those resources towards students that are bilingual and towards students that come from multicultural families. So it's it's one step in the right direction towards fixing all the issues that were created over the last eight years. The last bill that we're also working on is SB 340. So this bill will pretty much tackle the the institutional racism that's being implemented in a lot of institutions that are being funded by the state so i mean it should be obvious that this kind of behavior should not be allowed from any institution at all but more specifically by those institutions that are given state funds so this bill would force these institutions to provide a a program on how they're gonna diminish the institutionalized racism in their in their institutions, as well as provide feedback on how well that is working, and just work from there to see how we can totally just eradicate that you know, institutionalized racism.
2: Thank you so much for pushing these bills. What inspired you to push for this kind of legislation? Um,
3: being undocumented has, in a way, I like to see it this way, open up a lot of Open up a series of like awareness and consciousness for me, and I think um, being directly affected by the institution that is sort of um, you could call college. Like I feel as if I totally do belong here because one, I am being directly affected, and two, I am undocumented. And if I'm not trying to enact change for my community and myself, then what am I doing? You know.
4: I also feel like um, over the last. What two and a half years since Donald Trump got inaugurated into into office? This has cost a lot of a lot of the marginalized community that usually wouldn't take action in politics to really stand up and fight back, right? Because if we don't do it, then we're just going to be pushed over, and then we're going to allow laws that discriminate against us or that all that hate rhetoric going around to really affect our daily lives. So I think that's that's one of the main things that well, pushed me personally to be here. And also, especially here in New Mexico, we've seen that pushback, right? Last last November, we were able to see that blue wave that took over New Mexico. We were able to turn a, a usually red district in South New Mexico into a Democrat district, which is something that brings a lot of pride. For us and we were also to take over not just the governor's office but also the Senate and the House of Representatives here in New Mexico so we were given a a prime opportunity to really be able to push forward all these all these bills with a lot of support from the lawmakers so it was it was really that prime opportunity to really be able to get everything done and also take advantage of those 12,000 people that we were able to mobilize through our education, not deportation campaign because they want to see these changes as well. They are the voters that created this change, right? We are the faces of those voters. We are, we are here working one-on-one with the legislators to implement these changes, but really they're the ones that said what they what they wanted different in our state. So I think that's something very important to keep in mind.
2: Can you give us an update on where the bill is in the process of becoming a law?
4: So right now, SB 196, which is the one that cuts state funds from implementing federal immigration law, that one has been approved in the Public Fair Committee in the Senate. So next step is for the Judiciary Committee to hear the bill. And depending on how that vote goes, then it will go to the full floor of the Senate and repeat the process again in, in the House. So, HB 127, which is the College Affordability Act, uh, it recently passed the first stage, which is the House Education Committee. It is now going to the second stage, which is the House Appropriations and Finance Committee. It is expected to be heard like in two weeks or so because the House Appropriations and Finance Committee is right now working on the budget. So, most of their resources are going towards that. If successfully passed um, the third stage, it is expected to go to the, to the full floor of the House and then repeat the process in the Senate. The HB 159, which is the multicultural education framework, uh, it recently passed the first stage, which is the House Education Committee. And it is now going to the second stage, which is the House Appropriations and Finance Committee. Uh, it's, its position, it's the same as the College Affordability Act in that it's waiting for the budget to be approved by that committee, and then it will be heard. Bill HB 416, which is the Medicaid buy-in, was just introduced last week. So it is waiting to be heard in its first committee, which will be the Health and Human Resource Committee of the House. And then Bill SB 340, which was also also just recently introduced, will also be heard in, in the Public Affairs Senate Committee.
2: Is there anything else you'd like to add?
4: This Thursday, we had a research debrief where we talked about a research that was done by immigrant students for immigrant students. So this research focused on the mental issues that not only undocumented students have, but also students with DACA and students that come from immigrant families that are not necessarily undocumented. So we know that the problems that are being incurred by our community can cause a lot of mental health problems, but there hasn't been any research that scientifically touches into it and looks into it. So uh, for the first time, the New Mexico Dream Team's Undocu-Research project was able to look into the issues alongside the Tree Center to be able to come up with with that scientifically IRB-approved research that we presented to legislators so they can know how the bills that we are pushing forward in our education on deportation campaign will not only better, just the overall lifestyle of New Mexicans here in New Mexico, but it will also address those mental health issues that are being that can be incurred by the by by immigrant students and immigrant youth in general
3: we would also like to encourage for everybody to text um, NMDT to 877-877 for any updates and information on how the
2: legislature is going and for NMDT. Thank you so much I feel that it's extremely important for these bills to become laws because there's so many people out there that don't deserve to be treated the way they are. And I just feel like it's extremely important. Thank you. I'm Bianca Mitchell with Generation Justice.
0: Fernanda Luis, I think your organization is absolutely amazing. I am so excited to see changes in college affordability. That caught my attention because education is so important to me and especially to the state. Thank you so much, Dream Team.
1: Thank you, Fernanda and Luis, for talking about the bills you're trying to pass for college and immigration. I'm glad, you talk, I'm glad you talked about how you're trying to make college education more affordable and reasonable because it directly affects my future and others who want to pursue college.
0: If you want to find the research Luis spoke of, visit United we Dream slash Research. Our next song tonight is by Carlos Santana. Maria Maria featuring the project GNB
5: Ladies and gents turn up the sound system.
0: Maria Pérez was born and raised in Ecuador. She immigrated to the United States and earned a BS in biology, a master's in Chinese medicine, and recently a master's in public health. Maria is now the campaign manager at Common Cause New Mexico.
1: Maria has been working on bringing ranked choice voting to Albuquerque, which may be a cheaper and easier way to engage voters in the upcoming elections.
0: Now, here is youth producer Ludala Awad speaking with Maria Pérez.
6: This is Ludella Awad with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Maria Perez of Common Cause New Mexico. Maria Perez, welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you, Ludella. So uh,
7: will you tell me more about yourself? About myself? Mm-hmm. I um, come from a background of uh, working on health equity and health policy for some time. I was uh, initially working on issues of access to health care services. And from that, I started um, expanding my scope a little bit and working on not just health care, but also health in a broader sense, like access to housing and education and transportation and things like this. And um, after the presidential election of 2016, I made a decision that um, democracy to me was really an important health indicator and i felt that we were in great danger of losing our democracy of our democracy being eroded and which is what we've seen in the last couple of years so i decided to uh, start working specifically on democracy and on working on strengthening our democracy as a way to achieve community health
6: mm-hmm. and what's what's really important about the job that you do in um, with common cause new mexico
7: what I find really uh, important and heartening about my work is that I get to work with communities. A lot of my work is done at the local level, at the municipal level, and I get to work with people on the ground in their communities on uh, reforms, election reforms specifically, that help local local elected officials um, have more be more accountable to their constituents, and their constituents being able to elect their elected official in a way. That, that elects people who actually have the support of most uh, constituents. So that is what I really love about my work is that I get to help communities strengthen their democracy from the ground up at the grassroots level.
6: Mm-hmm. Will you tell us about uh, ranked choice voting and how it works?
7: Sure. So ranked choice voting is a really simple change to the way we do elections, but it has a very deep impact. So the way that it works is that on election day, you get your ballot and instead of just picking one candidate, you get to rank all candidates in order of your preference. So you get to pick your favorite candidate and then you get to determine who your backup choices are. So if your favorite candidate can't win because not enough people like that candidate the best, you get to choose your second choice, your third choice and so forth. So the way that this works is that on election day, on election night, after everybody's cast their ballot, everybody's first choice votes are counted and only their first choice votes. If some candidate gets the majority of the vote, then the election is over, that candidate is the winner. But if nobody gets the majority of the vote, then the candidate with the least number of first choice votes is eliminated. And the voters who voted for that candidate get their second choice vote to count. So those votes are redistributed, and then we count again. Does somebody get the majority of the vote? If they did, they win. And if they didn't, then we do that process again. So the, the candidate with the least number of votes gets eliminated, and those voters get their next choice uh, counted as their vote. So eventually, you know, whether it's one round of counting or three or four rounds of counting, at the end of the process, you get one majority winner— in one high turnout election. And people never waste their vote. Your vote never is wasted. Where is it currently being used and what are some of the achievements you've seen? So ranked choice voting is something that is, um has been around for a long time. Um, Cambridge, Massachusetts has had this method for almost 100 years. It's used internationally in uh, in New Zealand and in other places. Uh, But locally, um, nationally in the United States, it's used in over a dozen cities, including Oakland and San Francisco, uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul, Portland, Maine. Uh, Recently, uh, Utah um, allowed for this to happen at the municipal level, too. So right now there's six cities in Utah that are going to start using it uh, in the next couple of years. In New Mexico, we have it in Santa Fe. We had our first ranked choice voting election in 2018, uh, which went really great. And then uh, the city of Las Cruces just decided to adopt this system, too. So they're going to have their first ranked choice voting election this year in 2019. So it's growing really fast um, after advocates have been working and working on it for, you know, 30 years.
6: Mm -hmm. And what are some of the achievements you've
7: seen? So candidates need to reach out to a broader base, usually the way that this works if you just have an election where just whoever gets the most votes wins, right, regardless of whether that's a majority or not. Candidates just go to their base and the people they know that they can count on their vote, and that's it. They don't talk to anybody else. Either you are going to vote for me or you're going to vote for somebody else, and that's it. So with ranked choice voting, candidates really need to reach out to people even if they are going to vote for somebody else as their first choice. So an achievement that I see, and I saw this really clearly in Santa Fe, is that the candidates really worked really hard and they would knock on people's doors even if they had somebody else's sign on their lawn. And they would say, I see that you are going to vote for my opponent, but your favorite candidate and I have worked together on X issue and I would like to ask for your second choice vote. So it really helps um, educate the public because candidates are actually knocking on everybody's door and telling the, everybody about what their platform is and what they believe in and what solutions they have for the community. And so voters are engaged and voters are thinking about not just who they're going to vote for, but who is their second and third choice. So that is really the the key achievement that I see is, is sort of like a civic engagement on the part of the voters and additional effort on the part of the candidates to be accountable to the whole community. Mm -hmm. And what has been the response from candidates? I mean, you know, some candidates like like it more than others. uh, But overall, you know, in Santa Fe, I did interviews, follow-up interviews with candidates, winning and losing candidates after the election. And overwhelmingly, they really enjoyed ranked choice voting. They felt that that it was really great not to have to limit themselves to who they talked to. Being able to talk to all voters was uh, really great for them. Another thing that we saw in Santa Fe is that, you know, candidate forums and candidate debates, we had so many of them. There was such a demand for them because voters wanted to learn about all the candidates. They wanted to choose like who their second, third choices were going to be. So we had over two dozen candidate forums and they were all packed and, uh, Candidates really enjoy that, right? Candidates really like to show up and and be in a full room full of voters who were listening, who were interested, who were engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they like that. And then another thing that some candidates like more than others, but that is a key point of ranked choice voting, is that because you have to ask for people's second and third choices, campaigns uh, usually steer clear of personal attacks and and negative campaigning because you're very much not likely to get somebody's second choice vote if you are talking negative things about their favorite candidate, right? So candidates tend to refrain from attacking each other personally, and they just stick to policy and stick to the issues, which is a plus for the voters. Mm
6: -hmm. And what obstacles have you come across while advocating for RCV
7: in New Mexico? The main obstacle is that people haven't heard about it. It's an education issue, right? People think that that it might be too complicated. The the main uh, pushback that I get from, from elected officials and decision makers is that it's going to be too hard and people are not going to understand it. Once you start talking to people, uh, you know, they realize that they rank stuff every day. Like today, you decided to put on the shirt that you're wearing, right? You probably had a couple of choices and you said... I want to put on this shirt because the other shirt that I like is maybe not warm enough for today. Right. So like we rank things every day. We're just not used to ranking candidates, but it's the same. You know, when we go to a restaurant, you decide, do you want the soup and sandwich or do you want the slice of pizza? There's choices. We make a list of our preferences and we decide. So it's, that is the main obstacle that I have found is that people because they're unfamiliar with it, they have a feeling that it's just gonna be way too complicated. Um, but I have to say, there was there is an advocate in Santa Fe um, who is in her 80s, and you know, people say, particularly for um, non-native English speakers and for the elderly, that this is way too complicated for them. And so she, she's in her 80s, and she said, oh, that is ridiculous. If you can count to 10, you can do this. Which is exactly right. It is if you can rank five things, you can do this. It's not hard.
6: And among young people, voter turnout has been historically low, according to the U.S. Census Bureau data. How do you think RCV can help increase young voter turnout?
7: That is such a great question, and um, you know that is always the the goal is to increase turnout in general and particularly the the young voters. So there's a couple of things I want to say about that. One is in places that have ranked choice voting, there has been an increase over time of young people actually running for office. Because, you know, in a traditional election, unless you have like a political machine and like a money machine behind you, they discourage you from running, and they They tell you you can't run, you're going to split the vote, you're going to be a spoiler, right? We hear this. With ranked choice voting, the split vote and the spoiler effect is gone. So people can run without much money and without much of a machine behind them. So, for example, in Minneapolis, uh, a couple years ago in their city council election, we saw uh, a couple of really young candidates who did not have the machine behind them they ran and they won, you know, but they had sort of like a community organizing model. They they utilized their funds really well, but you know, doing a canvas and knocking on every single door on their district and they won. So I think that's part of it, right? Having candidates be somebody that you can relate to, having a candidate be a young person, a young person of color is going to um, incentivize young people and young people of color to vote, right? So that's one thing. The other thing is I think that just because uh, Ranked Choice Voting incentivizes uh, more of a conversation, it incentivizes people to be engaged and to ask questions and to learn about the candidates, candidates are going to be more likely to come to your door uh, and talk to you about their vision, I think that that also will engage uh, young voters. As an aside, I'd like to say that um, in Santa Fe, specifically, the last, you know, the ranked choice voting election we had in 2018, we saw a 10 percent increase in voter turnout from our last mayoral election. And that is pretty common in places that have ranked choice voting. There's a 10 percent voter increase right away and then sort of like inches up from there. So I can't tell you right now how many of those people were young voters, but presumably somewhere. And in, in any case, there was an increase in voter turnout
6: hmm so tell me about what's happening to RCV in Albuquerque.
7: So right now I am working with a group of Albuquerque residents who are advocating to get uh, Ranked Choice Voting adopted in Albuquerque. As per New Mexico state law, Albuquerque can now um, actually adopt Ranked Choice Voting and it could be done through a simple council vote. They can uh, vote on an ordinance. To change the way that our that our elections are right now in Albuquerque from a separate runoff election to a ranked choice voting election, which is just one uh, one round of voting uh, gets you that majority winner. So uh, what's happening right now is that this group of residents uh, they're they're very involved. They're reaching out to their council members throughout the city. They're um, asking for support. They're looking for champions to introduce this ordinance into the council. The You know, we've gotten a, a lot of good responses from council members. There seems to be energy behind this, so I am optimistic that we can get it done. The deadline to get this done uh, would be before June 30th. The city of Albuquerque needs to let the Secretary of State's office know by that date if they're going to do ranked choice voting. So we have a, a you know a couple months to To move this process uh, through council, if it's done, if we can get it done by June 30th, then the next election in Albuquerque, which will be uh, in November of this year of 2019, uh, would happen with ranked choice voting. So there's an advocacy effort. It's very active right now. If any of your listeners want to get involved, uh, please do. Please get a hold of me and, uh, and let's get it done. Let's do it. Where can people find more information? So I am very happy to talk to anyone and everyone about this. Uh, you can reach me at M. Perez. My name is Maria Perez, so mperez at commoncause.org. You can give me a call at 505-550-0647. There is information at the Common Cause website www.commoncause.org. And also, you can find information. There's a wealth of information at fairvote.org. They're a national organization that has been leading the way on ranked choice voting. But yeah, there's lots of information. I am working with a number of Albuquerque residents from all districts in the city. We meet on a monthly basis and we, you know, we have like a work plan and we're, um, we're, working on getting city council members on board with this um doing presentations all these sorts of things so that's how you can find more information definitely reach out to me and i would love to connect you with other people who are working on this or if you just want more information uh for your own sake then i'd be happy to talk to you as well
6: Mm -hmm. and is there anything else you would like to add
7: I would like to say, uh, you know, that this is a very exciting and unique opportunity for Albuquerque. It will require uh, folks to learn about it, to know about it and to be able to talk about it. But we can get it done. Right. We can get it done in the next few months. Uh, The next election, which is in November of this year could happen with ranked choice voting, which would be really amazing. Uh, It could be a different way in which uh, candidates campaign. It would be a different way in which voters engage. And ultimately, whoever uh, wins with ranked choice voting are going to be accountable to the whole city and not just to the small base that they've been used to campaigning for. So um, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's a great opportunity, and I hope that, uh, that your listeners, that there's going to be a few people that want to get involved with this and make it happen. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Maria, for sharing this very valuable information with us and for sharing a voting option that will help new candidates gain more recognition and popularity. I feel this voting option can and will help many young people feel more confident and empowered to run.
0: Thank you, Maria, for your amazing interview. I really liked when you said that you see democracy as a marker of health, and I am looking forward to seeing changes in our voting system. Genius idea. Thank you.
1: Up next is Community Calendar. Before that, here's a lit gem that we want to share with you. Here is Voice Your Choice by The Radiants.
7: Ladies and gentlemen, presenting The Radiants.
8: Was your choice? Was your choice? Was it? Your... Tell me who do you?
5: Welcome to this week's community calendar. My name is Nathaniel Guardian.
8: And I'm Kateri Zuni.
5: It's February. You know what that means, Kateri?
8: That means it's Black History Month.
5: And to celebrate, we have some community and legislative events to share. What's up first?
8: Well, our first event tonight, we have the Support HB51 Lobby Day with Respect New Mexico Women, which is hosted by Respect New Mexico Women, Progress Now New Mexico, Young Women United, Equality New Mexico, and the NM Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice.
5: On Thursday, February 14th at 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., you can learn about the HB51 bill to decriminalize abortion in New Mexico, which will be held at the Roundhouse.
8: For more information on this event and to register, visit respectnmwomen.org.
5: For our second event, we have the encore performance of We Saved Ourselves, Africans, and the Abolition of Slavery.
8: This presentation brings to light the mutinies that happened on slave ships, uprisings across the colonies, and armed struggles against colonizers on the African continent. When and where is this happening, Nathaniel?
5: Well, Kateri, you'll be able to catch this event on February 21st at Siembra Leadership High School from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m.
8: Thanks. And our next event is the Black Lives Matter March. This march is a reminder that black lives matter and that we demand justice for those who have lost their lives for no reason other than being black in America.
5: The march will be held on Saturday, February 23rd, starting at 5 p.m. at Century 14 in downtown Albuquerque. For more information, you can go to the Facebook event page Black Lives Matter March.
8: And our last announcement for the night is for the fourth annual Black History Month Barbecue and Games event. And it's hosted by Kendall's Vision Photography.
5: This is an event to honor Black excellence while building solidarity with the community, which will take place at the Dennis Chavez Community Center at 715 Catherine Avenue in Albuquerque on Sunday, February 24th at 3 p.m. to 6.30 p.m.
8: Well, that's our community calendar, and thanks for being such an awesome co-host, Nathaniel.
5: You too, Catery. And before we end the show tonight, we have another song to share. Here is Easy by the Commodores.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this hour of working toward justice. We'd like to thank our guests, Fernanda Banda, Luis Leva, and Maria Perez.
0: Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Katie Zuni and Roberta Raer, with sound recording by Matas Jaber. Thank you to our interviewers, Bianca Mitchell and Ludala Awar.
1: A big thanks for Nathaniel Guardian and Katery Zuni for hosting Calendar. I want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We cannot do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners.
0: Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud and iTunes.
1: We're also active on social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
0: Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, the Conalma House Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate.
1: Our opening song is Youth of a Nation by POD. I'm Zan Dixon.
0: And I'm Isabel Becerra. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. We have some more jams to share with you. Here is Emotions... By Mariah Carey, followed by Do for Love by Tupac, and The Times They Are Changing by Bob Dylan.